How's everybody doing? Oh, that was, that was, ah, uh, yeah, that's a, I mean, what have you guys been doing all day? You know, it's, uh, it's, it's good to see everybody. It's good to be seen, right? Yeah, Tim, good to have you, man. Good to see you. I'm glad you're feeling better and good as you're out. Let's look up for Tim, everybody. Tim was sick for a little while. It's good to have Tim here. I'm praying for you, man, and I'm glad you're, I know it's a long road, and I'm glad you're doing better. Um, so it's just good to, good to be seen, good to see everybody. Dave and Michelle, good to see you guys, too. It's been a little while. Um, just good to see everybody. I love, I love just being here. I love being in this place. I don't know how many of you like the senior center, but I like the senior center. I like hanging out here. It's like we're in the living room. You know, it's like yeah, other places work, you know, big buildings. This is like, all right, this is like home. We're all, we're all good here. So I don't know if you feel that way, but I feel that way. And it's, uh, it's, good, it's good to be here. Um, so, question for you. Anybody know how many languages are spoken in the world? That's a tree of like old world language families. I mean, actually, this picture goes like, there's another half of it you're missing on the bottom. Anybody have any idea how many languages are spoken in the world? Lots, yes, lots. That's a good one. Anybody want to throw a number out there? 1,200? Oh, yeah, okay. You have the script. You're not allowed to cheat, son. <laughs> Roughly 7,000 languages in the world. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that, I think that's just absolutely wild. If you speak two languages, you are bilingual, right? You speak three languages, you are trilingual. You speak multiple languages. Anybody know what that's called? A polyglot. Yes, a polyglot, a multiple, right? And do you know what happens if you, you know what you're called if you speak one language? American. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, Jesus spoke English, didn't he? Um, you know, if you could have any superpower, I used to say like I could fly, like that'd be really cool. But the older I get, like it would be really awesome to speak any language. Like, I think you could just be dropped down, I mean, to speak in any form of communication, sign language. Like, I'd, I'd just love to be able to communicate no matter what. Like, that, I think, would be a pretty incredible ability. And the value of communication isn't really understood or felt until you can't do it. Until you're in a culture or in a, in a, in a, you know, in a place where they don't speak your language or you don't speak their language, and all of a sudden you're going, ah don't know how to say what I want to say. And I, as someone who's had to preach in other countries, and in, in, in Mexico and other places, I preached in Germany, um, it's frustrating. Because, like, humor, I don't, I can't, I feel like I can't say what I want to say. It's, like, very frustrating. Um, and you know the power of communication because you have all, at one point or other, had to listen to somebody who was not a good communicator. Never here, never, ever here, but hypothetically somewhere else maybe, you've had to listen to someone and you go, I don't know what they're saying. I don't understand what they're trying to say. Can they just stop talking? Like, I, I don't know, as someone who's a communicator, maybe that's just me, but I've had that, <laughs> I've had that experience lots of times. Um, it's painful. See, the keys to good communication are one, who's doing the talking? Do they know what they're trying to say? You know, two, do they know who they're talking to? Do they understand, you know, who is this, who is this group that we're talking to? What, what kind of language do I need to use, you know, if we're, if we're talking to a bunch of teenagers, right? Or if am I talking to uh, people who speak Spanish? I'm talking to some people who speak Russian. I need to understand who I'm talking to. And third, um, 
you, the people listening have to actually like pay attention and receive the message. So on the communicator, I've got to know what I'm saying, I've got to know who I'm talking to, but it's also, it takes, kind of, it takes two, right? The, res- the listeners, you've you got you to kind of receive it and process it, and it's got to make sense in your head as well. It takes all parties doing their part. And I say that because it was about 700 B.C., uh, and the prophet Isaiah, uh, Old Testament prophet Isaiah, told of a man who was going to be communicating a message to the entire world communicating a message to the entire world. And what's crazy is that guy hadn't even been born yet and wouldn't be for a long time. And I'm not talking about Jesus. (laughs) Like, it wasn't Jesus. That's the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. No, it's not Jesus. Um, He was talking about somebody else. Uh, So we're going to read what he he wrote about this incredible communication, this message that was going to be for the whole world. It's It's this really awesome thing. So Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 3. It'll be on the screen so you can read along. And it says this says, listen, this is Isaiah saying, listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. And he says, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. That's a pretty like, powerful statement there. So the question is, who was that person that we're supposed to be listening to? Who was that voice shouting in the desert? Right, some of you, if you have some right, Bible understanding, you know where I'm going with this. But you can fast forward about 800 years, maybe 750. It depends on you know, when these things are written. But somewhere around that to about 65 A.D. All right, so you're going from like 700 B.C. to now 65 A.D. Jesus is gone, right, a little bit after. And Luke is now writing his gospel account, his story of Jesus' life. And he quotes this passage. He quotes Isaiah chapter 40. He says, hey, remember that? He says, that is all about John the Baptist. So that's, that's the voice shouting in the wilderness. I just want to pause here and just say, if God prompted Isaiah to foretell Hundreds of years earlier that, hey, somebody someday is going to say something. And we have a record of what that person would then go on to say. Do we think it's worth a deeper look? Like, hundreds of years ago, God's like, hey, somebody's going to say something. I'm giving you warning. Somebody's going to say something. And then we go, okay, this is what they're saying. Let's kind of like listen in to what John the Baptist had to say. Because I feel it's probably pretty important. So let's dig a little deeper here. Um, and I get to dig because I get to choose what we talk about. So, who's the one doing the communication, right? Let's ask that the, the first thing. is John the Baptist. What do you know about John the Baptist? What do we know about this guy? Right? He's a relative of Jesus. We know that, right? So, when, uh, when you read the, the account of, you know, the angel coming to Mary, well, the angel also went to her relative, a woman by the name of Elizabeth, um, so Jesus and John the Baptist are just a couple months apart because their moms were pregnant about the same time. Right? His, John the Baptist, his parents, uh, was a priest named Zechariah right? and, and his wife Elizabeth. Mary, when she was pregnant with Jesus, goes to, to Elizabeth to like, seek some comfort and say, like, I don't, I'm, you know, I, I'm, she's just, her world is spinning, so she goes. So they're obviously close. John the Baptist's birth was a miracle, right? Like Elizabeth was old. This was like a really incredible thing that happened to her. Uh, 
Zachariah couldn't talk the entire time she was pregnant until the day he was born. And then, because they were going to name him something else, and he's like, nope, this is what we're calling him. His name's John, an angel spoke to me, and all of a sudden he could start talking again. It's, it's an awesome story. Um, so it's very similar that, you know, the, the birth of John the Baptist was also preceded by an angel, just like Jesus. So you've got some similar stories here. And later, Jesus seems to imply, this is where it gets a little crazy, seems to imply that John the Baptist was actually, you know, carrying the spirit somehow of Elijah. It's like, uh, you, can, you can read it, and you can do business with that, but it's, it's in there. But here's what we know mostly about John the Baptist. That's his background, but he was a weird dude. He was strange. Like, like think of the strangest person you know. <laughs> was, that, was that easy? <laughs> um, John the Baptist lived in the wilderness. Like, he could have lived with, like, the people. He chose to live in the wilderness. It says he wore skins, like, as clothes rather than, like, cloth like everybody else. Like, he, he's so, that guy out there who's, like, wearing animal skin, like, I don't know why, but he chooses to be different out there. Um, he had food, but he chose to eat locusts and honey instead because who wouldn't want locusts, right? I mean... Listen, if it was locusts and chocolate, maybe, but, I mean, honey can only hide so much. Um, people were very curious about John. This guy was so different, and people were like, what's his deal? Everybody was very curious about him, trying to wonder, who is this guy? Is he, like, what is he? And, and he, so, this is the weird guy who's shouting a message. <laughs> Says he's in the wilderness shouting a message. That's the guy that, eight, you know, 800 or so years earlier... God says, Isaiah, there's a guy coming. Well, it's this guy. All right. So who is he shouting to? That's the question. This is who he's talking to. Who is he talking to? Luke tells it like this in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, it was now the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, the Roman emperor. Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea. Herod Antipas was ruler over Galilee. His brother Philip was ruler over Eturia and Trachonitis. Lysanias was ruler over Abilene. You like these names? Here we go. Verse 2. Annas and Caiaphas were the high priests. At this time, a message from God came to John, son of Zechariah, who was living in the wilderness. Weird dude. All right. So you've got all of this going on here. Where did I go? I lost myself. There we go. In this time in history, who's he talking to? There's a constant battle for power. Did you hear all the names he just listed who were rulers. Well, he was ruling here, and this person was ruling there, and that person was ruling there, and that person was ruling there, and these people were high priests, and he's saying all that because it was chaos at that time trying to figure out who's really in power. Like, is it Rome? Is it Herod? Is it these people? And then you've got religious leaders that are trying to influence the political leaders. We don't know anything about that in this day and age. Um, doesn't sound familiar at all, right? Religious leaders trying to influence politics and gain power. Um, so Luke says John is in the wilderness, okay? When people are in the wilderness, do they know where they are? Not usually. So these people were in not so much a physical wilderness, but it was a social wilderness, a political wilderness. So where are we as a people? Who's actually coming? Now, these are religious people he's talking to. They have a hope in a Messiah that was going to come and save them. So they're waiting for a Savior. It's a promise from, you know, hundreds of years ago. They've got all this political stuff going on. These are people who don't know where they are. And here's this guy shouting. Why do you think he's shouting? 
because there's so many other voices going on in the world around them. So he's trying to, this is important. Hey, listen, I'm not just going to stand here and talk like everybody else and make a speech. And I, he's, he's probably, like, in, in my mind, if I go back in time, dude's wearing, right, skins. He's probably got a handful of locusts. His hair, I don't know, it might look like Levi. I don't know. His hair is like crazy out there. He, Levi's probably much more controlled. Like his hair, is, he's just a wild-looking dude, and he's like literally shouting. Like I imagine him actually shouting. <laughs> like shouting these things like, prepare. I'm not going to yell at you, right? But he's, he's screaming to confuse people, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, and clear the path for him. Clear the road for him. Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, Clear the road for him. Now, when kings and dignitaries would come into a city, would come into a region, anytime, there would always be people who would go before announcing that they were coming. It's like anytime I'm sure you walk into a room, there's always somebody who precedes you saying, right? Like, Gloria is coming. Gloria is walking in, everybody. Here comes Gloria, right? Like, there's always somebody who's announced. So, dignitaries, when they would come, kings didn't matter, rulers, powerful people always had someone announcing their arrival. But not just vocally announcing their arrival, there were people going ahead to actually prepare the roads to clear the way because stuff would happen on the roads and they had this huge entourage coming and they wanted to make sure that the, that the king coming had access, that there was a clear path. And so they would clear these roads out, clear everything out. You know, we, we hear of Jesus, you know, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. They were putting down palm branches, you know, all those things. They were preparing the road for the king to come, announcing to everybody, somebody important is coming. John is saying here, the real king is coming. To all of you people who are politically in a wilderness, who don't understand what's going on in the world around you, listen up, the real king is coming. He's coming. Prepare the way. This long-awaited Savior is coming. Think about someone you'd be so excited to see if they walked in tonight. If I was like, hey, your sister's coming tonight. Hey, your son is coming home tonight. Right? Who are, who are you excited? Hey, your best friend from halfway around the world is coming tonight. Right? Josh Groban is coming tonight. Celine Dion, I don't know. Santa is coming. Santa. I know him. I know him. John was telling people, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The person you've been waiting for is coming. Make way for him. Prepare the road for him. It's important to clarify. He wasn't saying for the people here. He wasn't saying clear the way for the people to get to Jesus. It's interesting. He says clear the way for Jesus to get to the people. It's different. It's different. He says, make a way for the king. Make a way for him because he's coming. And here's the point. Jesus comes to us. It tells us something. It tells us something really important. Jesus is coming to all people. The heart of God is not for us to find him. But he's letting everybody know, hey, I'm coming to you. I am coming to you. I'm the king who comes to you. The heart of God, right? If you've never heard it, I want to underline this. God is not out there somewhere waiting for you to come find him. Hear this. God is not out there. No, he, he comes to you wherever you are, no matter where you are. God is a God who comes to you. 
He is that eager to be in relationship with you. And what John is also saying here is that it's our responsibility to prepare the way for Jesus to get to people. It's our job to make sure that Jesus can get to people. Not that people can get to Jesus, but that Jesus can get to the people. In order to do that, right, in order to do that, that means we have to look ahead and understand who is Jesus going to, what roads might he use, what access, right? Assess the situation, consider the best routes, think about how are they going to travel, how is Jesus going to travel to get to them? You need to do work before they ever get there to prepare. Anybody's going to prepare for Thanksgiving? Do you start cooking the turkey when people show up? You prepare it pre, right? You start doing the work in anticipation that they're coming. We have to anticipate Jesus is coming. So we've got to do work ahead of time. It means we go first. And before we get any further, I want to point out, as we said, John was a really strange guy. And God chose him to be the message giver. God doesn't choose the people our world puts on a pedestal to do his greatest work. It says he chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak to confound the strong. That's why we're here. <laughs> we are the fools and the weak ones. And actually, that's exactly the truth. God doesn't pick people that think they're important, but people that know they're nothing. Because those are the only people he can use. Because as soon as we think we're something, we mess it all up. Because here's the deal. We are not the hero of this story. It's not us making a way for somebody to get to Jesus. He's the hero. He's coming. I just get to announce and prepare his arrival. I, I should be invisible here. I'm just preparing the way and the, the main attraction is coming. I'm not the hero showing up to, to connect somebody and, and lead them somewhere to Jesus. No, Jesus is already on his way. I'm just making that way accessible. Search history. God chose a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors. Those were, tax collectors weren't cool people. People hated them. Fishermen weren't skilled. They weren't educated. God repeatedly chose to use broken and deeply flawed people. That's really good news for us. Because we've been given the responsibility of helping make a way for people to encounter Jesus. And it's not because of how smart, how hardworking, how powerful, how pretty, or how special we are. Let's be, re let's be real for a second. How many of you are just tired? And I don't mean tired. I mean tired. Like barely hanging on. Someone reminded me this morning that simply making it through a day is success right now. Like, I, I feel like I want to be doing so much more. And, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I'm struggling to, like, feel good about what I get accomplished in a day. Like, man, it's a grind. And I, it's, life is hard right now. We're in a world that has just become complicated. It's taking a lot out of us. And so in that mode, we're, we're tired we're trying to hold it all together. We're trying to keep our families together. We're trying to keep ourselves together. And, and there's, there's not a whole lot of margin to figure, figure in all this God stuff. How am I going to make way for God? I can barely make way for myself. 
And I just want to speak to that for a moment. Life is asking a lot of us, and I don't have the answers for a world full of questions, but God knows all of that. See, because God says, in your weakness, then I'm strong. God is not asking us to power up and to, to, to you know, put on the hero cape and just really, really make a difference in there and just go out there and give it all. No. The only ability God asks us to display is availability. Just open your hands and let me do what I can do through you. Keep that in mind as we're about to examine what John's going to say because I don't want this to feel like wait. I don't want it to feel like more you have to do. God knows who he's asking. He knows who's hearing this. He knows what you're going through. And this is not a burden. He's not putting this on you. He's saying, hey, as you rest yourself in me, this is what you're just going to do by living out your faith with me. This is what just happens when you live out faith with me. Ready? Here's what we get, here's what we get to do. He says, you're going to clear the road. There are things that keep people from seeing Jesus. Not because Jesus won't come, but because something is in the way. And it's our job to find whatever is keeping people from seeing Jesus and clear it out of the way. Like a bulldozer. You ever see those, those Russian like, snow plows, especially the train ones, where they're like, you know, the, the snow's like over the, and the, the train's just, and the snow's just going everywhere. It's like one of the coolest videos ever. Like, that's how I imagine as we live faith, that's what we're doing. We are plowing through. And I'm, and I'm not that forceful, but as God is working in us, that's just what happens. We get to clear the road. John kept shouting, verse 5, and he says this, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Let's just break that down. Fill in the valleys, the low places. Valleys in our lives, those are places of despair. Places of fear, where perspective is limited. The word is like ravines, like if you've fallen into like a crack. In life, the valleys are those seasons of fear, loss, grief, disappointment, hurt. Where is God in that? Right? When you're just in those low moments and you can't see God and you don't know where he is, and God says, hey, you fill in those valleys. You know what that means? That means that maybe, maybe that means learning to walk with God through our own seasons of fear or grief or disappointment or whatever it is that you're walking through. So that when someone else encounters a valley of their own, you can say, hey, I can help you navigate this low place. I've been through these low places before. I'm going to fill in that valley with love, with peace, with my story of faith, and I'm going to fill in that valley so though it's deep, it's not as deep as it was for you. I'm going to begin to fill in that valley so you don't get stuck at the bottom. Saying, that's how you prepare the way. That's, you live out faith in your own life. And as you're doing that, you begin to fill in valleys for those who are coming behind you. And he says, flatten the steep paths. Flatten the mountains and the hills. It's hard to walk uphill. It's hard to run uphill. You lose steam. Anybody does see these you know, crazy runners out there, you know, and you're trying to run up mountains and hills, like, you know, Heartbreak Hill, Boston Marathon. It's what they call it because it kill, it's just... Oh, it's killer. It's tough. We don't have the strength to summit the mountain. There are dangers along the way. There are times when you are climbing and trying to get up to the top, and you can't even see the top, and you're like, you know what? I'm just going to quit. It's too much. This is too much. 
you hit the wall. There are times we stand in front of decisions or circumstances or situations or realities that they're just too big. It's too big for me. I've got a diagnosis I can't handle. I've got a, a situation, a circumstance, a, a debt. It's just too big. It's a mountain in front of me. It's a broken relationship. It will never get better. It's a mountain. God says, hey, you flatten those mountains. Oh, listen, I could get a shovel and I could start digging, but <laughs> I'm not going to clear a mountain. God, what are you saying? Maybe God is saying here, just do the hard things that you know are right. Just do the next hard thing that you know is right. You just do the next hard thing that you know is right. You continue to be faithful. Maybe you have a conversation that you're avoiding. Maybe you stand up for some injustice that you know isn't right. Maybe you just do the next hard thing that you know is right so that when someone else encounters their own mountain, you can say, hey, this was my mountain. It was way too big for me, but you know what? I just kept walking. And your story of faithfulness, your story of courage what it will do is begin to flatten out that mountain and help somebody else summit something they never thought they could have. You begin to flatten the mountains for them. You fill in the valleys. You flatten the mountains. He says, and then you straighten the dangerous curves. If you drive a motorcycle, curves are fun, but they can be dangerous. You've got to know your speed, you've got to understand what's coming next. And so you can get through those turns. As you are going through, if you're a skier, no matter what you're trying to navigate in a car in, in the rain, if you're trying to navigate curvy, you know, those curvy Pennsylvania roads, you know, where they're going up and down over hills like this. Curves demand skill and new travelers rarely have it. Roads have curves because typically there are immovable obstacles that are either too costly or too difficult to move, and so they just navigate around them. Life throws us curveballs all the time, unexpected, unfamiliar, and we have no map for those things. And for us, perhaps what it means to straighten the curves simply means learning patience. Instead of trying to force your way around these immovable objects, so much so that I'm going to just continue to bob and weave all over the place, how about you just be still and watch as the Lord then begins to move things in his providential time. And you go, you know what, in patience, in, in, with patience here, I'm understanding that the road becomes straight for me if I won't just speed my way through this. So that when someone else encounters a delay, you can go, hey, can I just encourage you? Maybe just be patient and let that road straighten itself out for you. If you are weaving all over the place, maybe you're trying to force something that's not meant and it's dangerous. And you could go off the road. You could go off the rails. Just have some patience. And finally, John shouts, smooth out the rough places. My kids like to skateboard and scooter. You know, the little scooters, the razor scooters there. Ever see a kid doing that down a gravel road? You can drive on a gravel road, but I mean, it is like, right? It's not possible. There's nothing like fresh pavement. Think back to the, the classic movie Cars, you know, where they, they pave radiator springs, a new strip of blacktop. And Ramon's going, oh, yeah, man, feel that under your tires? You know, it's as good, smooth. They're like, oh, yeah, this is good. And the cars are just 
weaving on down, you know, like every time you, like you drive down 130 right now, coming, coming northbound, like through Bordentown, oh man, road's awful, right? But you get some of that new blacktop, it's like, oh, oh yeah, that feels good, that feels good. No matter how old your car is, this feels good. See, to smooth out the rough places is actually to make the journey enjoyable. It's to enjoy what God is doing. It's fun. Like, this is what we were meant to do. Like, like this car was meant to go on blacktop. Well, guess what? Our lives were meant to be enjoyed. Rejoice in the Lord always. We're meant to enjoy this life. We've been reflecting on joy this year, and in the middle of it, the question is, we're tired. It's been a long year. There's so much that has happened. Is there joy here? Smooth out the rough places. Maybe that means you learn to enjoy where you are, no matter where you are, so that when somebody else is riding a rough road, you can say, hey, I know the road is rough, but here's how I've learned to enjoy that. Here's how I've learned to find joy in it, the beauty in it. And then John shouts the best news last. It's filled with promise. Verse 6 says this, and then, if you will do that, and then, who? All people, all people will see the salvation sent from God. Let's just break that down. All people means uh, all people. Everyone around you, they're going to see with their own eyes. If you will do this work, if you will prepare the way, they will see with their own eyes what the salvation sent from God. Do you know who that is? That's a person. It's not a thing. That's Jesus the salvation sent from God is not a thing. It's not a religious act. It's not like a feeling. It's a person. You will begin to see Jesus. All people will see Jesus if you and I will prepare the way, clear the road. They will see the king, and here's what they're going to see. They're not going to see you clearing the way. They're going to see the king coming down the road right at them, directly towards them. We've been given the privilege and honor of being the people who get to announce to the world the coming of the Lord. He's coming. The greatest king, the king of love, the, the shouting voice of John, an imperfect per person empowered by a perfect God, echoes in our present age to us, tired, weary, overwhelmed, confused people. Prepare the way. Clear the road. Fill in the valleys. Level the mountains. Straighten the curves. Smooth out the rough places. Because the king still comes to all people. The king is still coming. And here's why this is so important. And I am going to sit down because I'm going to try to say this gently. <laughs> but I'm going to be direct because it's too important. As followers of Jesus, we get to choose, but we have to make a choice because we either get to prepare the way or we are in the way. We either get to help people see Jesus or we obscure him. We can prepare the way or we can complicate it. There is no middle ground. If you're not preparing the way, then you're choosing to make the way harder. Many years ago, a missionary named E. Stanley Jones was having a conversation with 
uh, Mahatma Gandhi. And he said, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear to so adamantly reject becoming his follower? And those may be familiar with this reply, but Gandhi said, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Mm. Do you feel that? Because I hope you feel that. If you don't cringe at that, we're missing something. The painful reality is that far too often the very people tasked with making the way clear are the primary obstacle to people seeing Jesus. The only obstacle to coming to know Jesus in anyone's life ever should be the cross. It should be that Jesus asked people to die to self. That should be the only obstacle because that in itself is hard. Jesus doesn't invite us to come and have a charmed life and it's going to be lollipops and roses and it's all going to be perfect. He doesn't say that. He tells us, come and die. And trust me that as you lay down your life, you will trade this shadow life for a real life. That in itself is a hard thing. There were people who came to Jesus and they heard him say that and they went away sad because they knew that was a hard thing. But that should be the only thing stopping people from coming to Jesus. And far too often it's us. It's the people meant to prepare the way that get in the way. Because we all know that far too many who claim to know Jesus, oh man, they clutter that road. They make those valleys deeper. They make those mountains higher. They put more curves in the road. They throw more gravel on it. If we're not responsive to the words of, of John, we're not helping all people here. We're actually hurting. Oh. <laughs> the heart of God is for all people to know that he came to save them. And it starts with you. He came to save you. If you know Jesus, it's because someone prepared the way for him to come to you. Someone cleared the road. And perhaps there were people in your own life who made it harder for you to accept Jesus because of the way they were living their lives. It's a very real possibility that those are, there are those of you here that are listening or hearing and know about Jesus despite other people. Right? We know this is a reality in our world. But you get to choose what kind of Jesus follower you're going to be. So here's the question for all of us tonight. Here's the, here's the question. Am I preparing the way? Or am I in the way? Am I preparing the way? Or am I in the way? Preparing the way it looks simply like living out your faith every single day. As you live it out, as best you know how, listen, God's not asking us to be heroes. He's asking us to trust him and to walk and to live out that faith. Not to take this casually. It's not a game. There's eternity on the line for people that do not know. We're not just, I'm good. Hey, they can figure it out. I had to figure it out. No, our job is not to just let them figure it out, but to prepare the way for them, to clear the road, to make it easier. 
to go above and beyond, to live it out as best we know how, so that those who follow us can find it. I'll give you one example of what that might look like. Jesus always, always wanted to go and come to people that didn't know him. He tried to come to tax collectors. You know what the church people did? As Jesus is coming to them, the church people are standing on the side of the road telling that tax collector in front of Jesus, you don't, you're not worthy of this. You're no good. You're, Jesus, why are you going to this guy? He's a loser. He's a sinner. You shouldn't have any business being with that guy. Jesus is trying to come and the church is getting in the way. Looks like Jesus talking to women, prostitutes, women that have been abused, and, and he's trying to go to them and they're in front of her saying, that woman is dirty. She's worthless. You shouldn't even let her touch you, Jesus. Jesus is trying to come to this woman and, and there are people on the side judging her. Mm. Mm. May it not be that that's the kind of church we are, that that's the kind of people we are. God has given us, listen, it's a great opportunity. We get to announce the king is coming. All people get to hear. We get to open up those doors but we got to take that responsibility seriously. God knows our weaknesses, doesn't expect perfection from us. He just asks that our lives be a declaration of the news, that he comes to us. Listen to it again. I'm going to ask Nikki to come. Would you just listen to this again? Perhaps even close your eyes. Listen. Listen. It's the voice of someone shouting, clear the way through the wilderness. For the Lord, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Because then, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. Heavenly Father, in this moment right now, God, this is both one of those encouraging messages but also challenging for myself as well. Because there are times when I ask, God, am I in the way? Is my attitude in the way? Is the way that I'm just behaving right now in the way? Am I, am I clearing a path or am I cluttering it, God? Lord, and it's not for a sense of guilt, but it's a sense of, of purpose. You've not put us here just to, just to live and let live. Lord, you have made other people's business our business. And it's not to force them to do anything, but it's to make sure that we are not stopping anyone from welcoming you as you come. That the only thing that should stop anyone from coming to you is their own will. That moment where they get to decide whether they will acknowledge you as Lord or not. Lord, as we pray, there's someone who's listening. And you've never accepted that Jesus comes to you, personally comes to you, and he wants to know you and to have you know him. Maybe someone has prepared the way for you. Maybe someone is the reason you struggle to accept Jesus even now. But regardless of how you got here, you are here now, you are hearing this, and Jesus is here, he's before you. He is standing at the door He's knocking. 
since long before you were born. God has planned to come to you and present his love to you to let you know that you are valuable. He's come to give you everything that is good, to forgive every wrong thing you've ever done, make you brand new, to release you to experience the fullness of life that you were created to live. And if that's you, as you hear this, wherever you are listening online, if you're here in the room, I invite you to simply say, Lord, I hear your voice. Just where you are, Lord, I hear your voice and I'm here to meet you. God, I open the door. God, I want to open the door. Would you come in to my life? I welcome you to know me. I welcome you to forgive me. I acknowledge that I need your forgiveness. God, I simply need to repent and to recognize you as God. You are the Lord who comes to me. If you're here, would you just in this moment just welcome God in right where you are? Is he coming? He's always coming. He's ready. Right now, in this moment, he is ready to come into your heart. All you got to do is walk. And as we're praying here, perhaps as you're listening, you've made that decision and you know that you've maybe not been diligent to prepare the way for others. I simply invite you to tell God that you confess, you admit, You've not listened to that voice shouting to us. Listen, God's not angry with you. He is he's kind. He's gracious. And he will receive your confession. He will hold you close in this moment. John's heart, his message was always for people to repent, to return back to God. That's what he was shouting for. That's what prepares the way for Jesus to come close. As we repent, Jesus is now able to come into our lives. Our sin keeps him away. Our confession, it clears out that road. And if you're listening and perhaps you feel like you don't have what it takes to do this, you're tired, you're weary, maybe it feels overwhelming, it feels like it's a mountain in itself, this responsibility. God just wants you to know he desires to use you and he will do it despite your weakness. Through your weakness, in your weakness, he will be strong. And he will use your weakness and use you to change eternity for all people, for those around you. And I invite you, would you, in this moment, would you commit yourself to being street sweepers, to being valley fillers, to being mountain levelers and curve straighteners, to being steamrollers that make the way smooth and filled with joy so that all people, those all around us, will see with their own eyes the Jesus that is walking towards them. To hear the voice of the Lord today, if you're willing to commit to that, I just invite you, would you just... Maybe raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to commit to that. God, in my weakness, I want to invite you in. God, would you use me in that way? God, look at our hands. You see us in this place. God, you see us. You come running to us and you're shouting to us. Go prepare the way. I'm coming. Prepare the way. Clear the road. I'm coming. We thank you. We welcome you. Use us. 
Would you do that here, now? Here we are, Lord. Use us. Use us.